Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of 1 Corinthians. Well, this morning we will continue in our study of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 17 is where we will pick up. If you recall, Paul has begun answering questions that the Corinthian church has asked him specifically. Paul spent the first six chapters really dealing with different aspects of the behavior there in the Corinthian church that he felt he needed to address. And now he has transitioned to respond to questions that they had asked of Paul, most likely through a letter that they had sent him. The beginning of this chapter, of course, deals primarily with the topic of marriage, uh, the principles of marriage. He deals a little bit with divorce, a believer who's married to an unbeliever. How do we handle some of those things? And so he's going to continue to address these types of questions as we move forward. And specifically in the remainder of this chapter, Paul is going to deal with aspects of Christian calling and gifting, as well as, again, marriage, but more so specifically the uh, choice between single singleness and getting married. And what does the word have to say about that? What we'll find here, of course, is uh, as Paul has already mentioned, he is going to continue to express um, what we could say are principles. He's going to share wisdom, uh, not necessarily a biblical mandate. Paul is clear, hey, I'm sharing what I think is wisdom from the Lord, but he's not making a command of some of these things. And this is really going to continue even beyond chapter 7. Um, and, and really this morning, even as I prayed, what I would encourage us to consider here, and hopefully this will become clear, is that while yes, Paul is dealing with some specific things, his goal in all things is to draw our attention more so to the heavenlies, whether it's our calling and how we serve God or whether it's in marriage or whether it's in singleness or anything else that he may be addressing with the Corinthian church. What Paul wants us to have is a heavenly mindset. Paul wants us to think in terms of how can I best serve the Lord? How can I live for the Lord? How can that be the driving force in my life? And so that's what I would want us to see here this morning. In fact, I would just share with you two key principles at the very beginning that I think are important for us to understand about this text. If you're taking notes, write these two things down. First would be this, serve the Lord wherever you are. Serve the Lord wherever you are. That's what He desires. And secondly, regarding all relationships, be willing to surrender those relationships to Christ. Those are two principles that I believe are clear in what Paul will be sharing in the remainder of this letter. So for the sake of context this morning, let's go ahead and just begin reading together in verse 17. But God 
excuse me, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. If you would, just agree with me in prayer once more. Father, we look to your word here now, and we recognize that it is just that. It's your word, your word which you exalt above your own name. Lord, we thank you for it, and we'd ask again that by the Spirit, you would help us to make applications in our own life here today. We do love you, Lord, and appreciate all the many ways you minister to us, and would ask that you do so now, Lord, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Pastor Warren Wearsby writes, We are prone to think that a change in circumstances is always the answer to the problem. But, he says, the problem is usually within us and not around us. It's an easy thing to point to circumstances around us as the cause for our issues. And this is certainly true even in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we may be prone to say, hey, I'll, I'll serve the Lord I'll, I'll give to the Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, do this thing that maybe the Lord has been convicting me in when the situation in my life changes, when this relationship changes, maybe when I get this new job, maybe you know, I'll, I'll serve when things slow down. We have this idea that the circumstances need to change in order to facilitate our service to the Lord. But here Paul introduces a principle that says, You can serve God right where you are. You can serve God right where you are. That's, in fact, what he desires of us. Paul writes here again, verse 17, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. And Paul here, as he says, and so I ordain in all the churches, is really communicating to them, look, I'm not saying something to you that I don't say everywhere else. I've given this same instruction multiple times, in effect, is what he's communicating. Now, Paul, in this chapter, he uses the word called or calling several times. We've already read many of them there at the beginning. And there are two different types of calling that he is referring to. There is the secondary calling, which is more of how a person is gifted or equipped. Often, this secondary calling, our gifting, It fuels our vocation. This is what Paul is is mentioning here, right? But in every other case, through the rest of the chapter, after verse 17, called refers to the primary calling, which is our vertical relationship with Jesus, the calling to salvation. So what's the point in that? Often the secondary calling, this idea of gifting, of equipping, it's often misunderstood. It's true for us and it was true for the Corinthians that so often our gifting becomes what we do, 
Gifting fuels vocation, fuels a job. And that then becomes the thing that starts to define us. It becomes our identity. We know that for the Corinthian church, they were struggling with their identity. And Paul is saying here in verse 17 that each person should live their life with the gifts that God has given them and focus not on changing what they do now, that they know Jesus so that they can serve Jesus, but rather to see who they are now and and how God has changed who they are and begin serving Him right where you're at. Now let's keep reading here for a moment and hopefully that will make greater sense. In verse 18 and following, he says, Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God, that is what matters. You see, for the Corinthian church, there was a sense of, wait, we were, we were one way. We did this one thing before we were saved, and now we're saved, and it's got to change everything about our lives. How do we figure out how to go back? How do we go back to the beginning? And, and Paul says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. What was your place when you were saved? When you came to know Jesus, what was it that you were doing? Or even more so, what of your past? You know, for many people, especially in this chapter, they, have a, they, they struggle with, let's say, for example, if you were divorced in the past. And maybe it's become apparent to you that it wasn't even a biblical divorce. There wasn't really grounds for it. And then maybe that person is remarried. And now they've come to Christ and they're thinking to themselves, what, what do I do? Do I, need to, do I need to get divorced again and then go back to my first spouse? And Paul's saying, no. You don't have to worry about that stuff. That is in the past now. Focus on your life in Christ now and begin to move forward where you're at serving Him. And so people uh, struggle with this, and, and understandably so, and they were struggling with it in the Corinthian church. And so then from there, it becomes a little bit of, well, what about my job? Right? I, I have an eternal perspective now, and I feel like the, the job that I'm doing maybe is just pointless. I, just, I don't know that I want to continue to do this anymore. Should I get a new job? And what we see Paul say here is essentially, maybe, maybe not. And I know some, for some of you that drives you nuts, right? You want a clear answer to something. You're a little bit more black and, black and white, literal, right? And But Paul's saying, look, some of these things aren't necessarily clear. We've got to exercise wisdom in these areas. He says in verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. So even in his answer here, Paul's kind of saying, look, don't worry about the job that you have. Serve the Lord right where you're at. But, but if it can change, well, then go for it. Make a change. Here in verse 21, let's pause here for a moment because there is a point of clarification that's necessary. Some of you may uh, be familiar with this, others not. The word slave here in verse 21 is not necessarily a bad translation, but it doesn't exactly reconcile with our more modern understanding um, of slavery, especially in our nation's own history. It's, It's important to understand that the Bible, though some have sought to suggest this wrongly, the Bible never advocates for slavery as we often think of it. Okay. This was what Paul is referencing here uh, is a bondservant type of role. Now, what is that? Well, it's not a forced labor. It's not a demeaning of a 
people group or a devaluing of a people group. Rather, in this case, um, it was to some degree a business transaction. Some people who were bond servants may have even been doctors, lawyers, some manual labor. And in most cases, they entered into an agreement for primarily a financial purpose. Um, this isn't exactly the perfect comparison, but I think uh, it's a modern context that helps us to understand. Say, for example, today someone is self-employed. They've built a business. Uh, they've seen some uh, reasonable success in that business, but as it grows, uh, they find that, boy, there's certain aspects of running this business that have become difficult. There's human resource needs. There's hiring needs. There's insurance needs. There's some things that are just becoming difficult for you to do on your own. In such a case, sometimes people will take their business that's become fairly profitable and they'll sell it to someone else. They'll come underneath a larger business and they become an employee. They've sold their share, if you will. Again, it's not a perfect example, but it helps us to see this. As they do that, they gain some resources, they gain some support, but they lose some flexibility, they lose some autonomy. Again, not a perfect example, but it helps us to see a little bit into this world. And so in this culture at this time, upwards of 60% of the culture, 60% of the people were in some form of indebted servitude. And so as they were then coming to Christ, there was this sense of, man, if I didn't have to be working for so-and-so, if I had my freedom to do what I wanted with my time and my resources, boy, I could serve Christ better. And so there became, in some cases, some of this effort to begin to change circumstances in life. And not unlike ourselves, we can convince ourselves that there's certain things that need to happen before we can really serve the Lord. And Paul says, no, serve Him right where you're at. Moreover, it may be that the 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 value that you don't see in your existing lot in life, in your existing employment, may be absolutely the place that God can use you for His glory. So Paul is saying you're a Christian now and you think you need to get out of this situation so that you have the freedom to serve Christ. And Paul says this situation doesn't prevent you from serving Christ. It doesn't prevent you from serving Christ. Now, he also says, look, if you can remove yourself from this situation, if you can buy your share back, if you will, well, then go for it. Take the opportunity. But don't think that it prevents you from being able to serve the Lord. And this is what we're going to see. This is the pattern of Paul. We can look at all of this very specifically and very literally, certainly as we should. But we also see in this is that Paul is going to continually bring us back to, look, your earthly circumstances don't dictate your relationship with the Lord. You have the ability to serve him despite these things. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. I'd ask you the question, how much does Christ's blood buy today? What does it buy today? You might be thinking, that's kind of a weird question. Let me put it into context. We're experiencing a period of inflation right now in our country. Has anyone noticed? No. <laughs> you didn't want me to remind you of it. Is that what it is? 
We know when, when we think of inflation, right? We, we, we understand that basically what that means is the dollar doesn't buy what it used to, right? Some of you who are a little more advanced in years, you have the ability to say, I remember when, okay? Some of you think I'm still super young, but I can remember when. I paid 89 cents a gallon for gas. Can you believe that? That's epic. That would be awesome, right? What'd you say? Okay, you got me. 25, <laughs> 25 cents a gallon. 12. Okay, here we go. Do I hear five? <laughs> five cents a gallon. You're like, no, but I paid that for a hamburger. You know, same deal. <clears throat> That's right. We, and so we, we understand this. Why am I mentioning this? Well, Paul says we were bought at a price. And what we need to understand is that what Christ paid on that cross 2,000 years ago, it still gets what it always has. Our lives. Our surrender. The problem is, we today have inflated ourselves a little too much. Lord, I can give you this. But I got all this other stuff that I've got to deal with. Right? And he said, no, I'm asking for you. I'm asking for your surrender. And so we have to ask, again, you know, Paul here is dealing at first with, look, just serve the Lord right where you are. But we've got to kind of consider the context a little bit more and ask, just like the Corinthian church had to ask, what of this world is monopolizing our attention? Do you feel bound by the cares of this world? We must remember, if that's the case, you've been freed from it. Do you believe that? Busyness. Guys, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. And, and, and to not be busy in some cases, well, then we struggle with our identity if we're not going all the time because that's sort of how we've begun to define ourselves by all these things that we do, all these things that, that we have to give ourselves to. And, and the world tells us so much of this, right? What you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. But what, what Paul wants us to understand is you've been freed from all of this stuff. Whether it's you feel like your job doesn't have eternal value, the things you're doing maybe isn't what you, you, you feel like you want to be doing, but you have to be doing it. And, and Paul's saying, look, you've been freed from these things. And as far as your value and the eternal value, you, you, Christian, have eternal value. The things that you do in his name, how you serve him, that has eternal value. And you can do it wherever you are. Just give your life to him. Turn it over to him. Guys, the idea of Sabbath, we've talked about this before. Sabbath is not a concept that was done away with through Jesus' death and resurrection. He brought clarity to it. Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. But he didn't say, hey, you guys don't need to rest anymore. But yet it's one of the most common, commonly ignored practice amongst believers is the practice of Sabbath. I was challenged once in my life. I've shared this before, and I have been working since to go, okay, I have to, I have to figure this out. I have to do something different. But I was challenged on the issue of Sabbath when I said, I don't do a good job of practicing it. And my mentor said to me, so you think you're better than God. I said, well, that sounds a little extreme, right? The fact is, he says, well, it's true. Because God, the creator of the universe, said, it's time to rest. And he gave us a pattern of rest. And yet we struggle to do it. 
Why? Because we've built up our lives around all these things that we need to do. And the idea of saying, okay, I'm not going to do that, and I'm just going to choose to rest, even when we have all these things in front of us, feels really scary, but maybe we can trust that God has freed us from these bonds and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to trust you to bless it and to take care of it. It's about fostering that relationship with him. Again, it's more than just your role. It's more than just your gifting. It's Paul saying, look, we belong to him. Look, there is nothing that you need to do so that you can walk with Jesus. There may be things that he leads you to. Some of us, we tell a story of how God did lead us to a new occupation. Well, if he's leading, follow him by all means. But otherwise, serve him right where you are because you're his. Learn how he's gifted you, how he's created you, and lead with that wherever you are. We've dealt with this recently in the Life Unique class, those who went through that, and there's still work to be done there. It was just, quite frankly, a teaser to get things started, but an effort towards understanding how has God gifted you? And then wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, to say, I know what gifts I can bring to this situation. That's serving the Lord right where you are. So from here then, Paul transitions as he does so well to saying, okay, let's, let's move beyond calling, let's move beyond gifting, and let's consider what, is this, what does this mean as far as relationships are concerned? Does a Christian need to get married? And of course, he's responding to questions that they've presented. And Paul writes in verse 25, now concerning virgins. Now, here's the thing. I appreciate my translation of the Bible, not mine, but the one I use. I think New King James is solid. Some of you have ESV, some of you have CSB, some of you are old King James, all these things. There's good translations of the Bible, okay? Generally speaking, I like the New King James Version. This particular chapter, I don't love it, okay? I don't love it. This passage specifically from verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Why? Now concerning virgins, this could be really translated young unmarried people. Okay? Now concerning young unmarried people, woman or man really, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. So again, Paul is saying, I'm going to share my opinion which is rooted in wisdom, it's rooted in experience, but it's not a commandment. Verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. What's Paul saying? First principle, whatever state you're in, don't try to change it. Don't seek to change it. This word seek here speaks of a striving. It speaks of a pursuit. Paul is saying, look, don't be, don't be chasing after this. Right? So of the person who's married, oh, but I want to be able to serve the Lord, only, only now I've got this relationship here, so I'll get divorced, so I'm freed up. No, Paul said, no, that's not what you're going to do. If you're single, he would say, look, be thoughtful before you pursue a spouse. Why? Because it's sinful? No. He's saying, but it's not necessarily easy. 
right? This is what Paul wants us to understand. He's going to give permission for both. Effectively, at the end of this, Paul is going to say, look, are you single and you want to stay that way? Praise God. Are you single and you want to get married? Praise God. Are you married and serving the Lord? Praise the Lord. He's saying all of these things will work, but he's saying, but we should exercise wisdom, right? And to understand particularly of the married life that there are going to be some distractions. There are going to be some things that aren't always easy. And so don't rush into this. Paul references a present distress in verse 26. We don't know exactly what this present distress is. Perhaps it's a growing persecution against believers. Some feel that's the case. So the culture is becoming more uh, hostile towards Christians. Some translations render this the pressures of life. So this could simply be that just aspects of the uh, culture in that day were maybe not conducive to starting out a new family, a new couple. And so Paul's saying, just consider some of these things. Whatever it is, Paul is recognizing that to be married, while absolutely a blessing, also brings with it challenges. And those that are married know this. And so the question could be, well, so what if there are some challenges? Paul says, verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Many people have faulted Paul here in this section, suggesting that he was saying here that the end times were near, that Jesus was coming back quickly, so don't be focused on marriage because it's really not going to matter. And um, in part, I think to some degree, that is what Paul has uh, said here. And honestly, even if that's exactly what he was communicating, it's not that he's wrong. He's using language that's very similar to that of Jesus. And we know that in the grand scheme of things, even though some people would look at this and say, see, silly Paul, so many generations have come and gone since then. The fact is, against the backdrop of eternity, we are absolutely in the last days. If someone is given roughly 70 to 80 years on this planet, compare that to eternity. It's just a blip on the radar. And so if this is not our forever home, and if we are to be about giving Him glory and serving Him and praising Him in this life and having an impact on His kingdom or for His kingdom for eternity, well, then the time would be very short. There would be a sense of, man, what are we doing here and now? Right? So Paul's not wrong in suggesting this, regardless of what the the view is that you take. And so he would be asking the question, if this, is, if this is, in fact, his point here, what are you doing with your time? Are you ready to commit to something, in this case marriage, that may pull you away from the things that the Lord has for you? Are you ready to accept those responsibilities? But here's the other thing. While I think this is part of what Paul is communicating, I do think that Paul is communicating something here that's even a little bit deeper. The word form in this section, as in the the form of this world is passing away, is the word schema, which speaks of uh, an appearance or a manner of life. Um, 
in a way, then, what I think Paul could be saying here is that what this world appears to offer, what this world pretends to offer, is passing away. And so then, here's how hopefully this makes sense. In this context, I can't help but see that Paul then is dealing with two things in particular that are so influential in our identities this side of heaven, that being what we do and who we know or who we're married to, or we married, not married, that, that he's taking these things and he's saying, look, these things are not ultimate. These things are not the things that we are to be pursuing. These are things that so many people, it fuels them and it gives this sense of when I achieve this, then I will be fulfilled, then I will be satisfied. And if that's the case, we're going to come up empty-handed. Still today, so much of our perceived value and worth comes from what do you do for a living? And are you married? And for the person who's unmarried, there is still today a sense of, boy, you just aren't fully experiencing what you could have. And that's unfortunate because that's clearly not consistent with what the Word says. Now, it also doesn't say that marriage is bad. We considered that last week. It's a wonderful thing. But what Paul is saying here is, you should be serving the Lord in whatever capacity He wants you to serve Him. If we pursue these things as if they are the the ultimate achievement, that when we find the right job and the right person, oh, then life will be good. But we have to understand that this side of heaven, there is no perfect job, no perfect person for us. And so what then, if we are seeking that, if we're striving and we're pursuing that, right? So I think that Paul could be saying here, the world is being revealed for what it is, a lesser form. Our jobs, really those should just be the means by which we can put to use the giftings that come from Jesus. And of relationships and marriage, the blessing that they are and can be are just a picture of the perfect one that we can know in Jesus. Amen? And so Paul is seeking to provide perspective here and to create, I think, for us a heavenly mindset. That's always his aim, is to cause us to look more to the heavenlies. He says, verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He's not saying, I want you to be a people who don't care about anything. He's saying, I want to make this life easier for you. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin that is married and unmarried. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Those of you who are married understand this. Right, that there is a, a tension, there is a pull on your affections, your time, your energy, and certainly that grows as there's children. Now, are these things bad? Once again, no. 
God has absolutely used these things as blessings. And I can tell you that, as I mentioned last week, my own marriage has been a wonderful means of my own sanctification. And there is a relationship there, a partnership, a friendship, and that's a wonderful thing. Paul wants us to understand, what's your gifting? How does God want to use you? What's he want to do in your life? And notice here also, he doesn't say that the husband or the wife should not care for these things. What Paul recognizes is, no, you need to. You want to have a healthy relationship? You're going to invest in it. You're going to spend time on it. But it is going to draw your attention away from, in some cases, serving the Lord. And this idea, though, this idea that, look, it doesn't have to be this way, that it can be this way, that marriage and singleness can both be pleasing to the Lord is not what's consistently been shared throughout history. And so this was certainly radical, especially in Paul's day. It's less radical today. For Paul to be sharing this was like, what are you talking about? This is how it works. This is what you're supposed to do. He's saying, no, it doesn't need to be like that. Verse 35, and they say this for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but he's saying here, I don't, I'm not trying to restrict you. I'm not trying to make it difficult, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And this is his aim. He wants a body that is serving the Lord without distraction to the best of our abilities. And then here's everything, right, has to have balance to it. So look, singleness. If your singleness is rooted in, yeah, I think that's the path because I get to just do what I want. I get to pursue my interests. I get to pursue my career. That's really important to me. Well, then look, that's selfish and the motive is wrong. Okay? But similarly, marriage, if marriage is well, I get to satisfy my desires. This will help advance my status. This will somehow make me happy. That's selfish. What Paul wants us to consider in both cases is, how can I best serve the Lord? As he's already considered for the person who is single, but, but is going to struggle to remain single, well, then he's saying, hey, get married. That's the best way that you're going to serve the Lord. But for others who are gifted in that way, as he is, remain single. What ministry are you called to? How's the Lord called you to serve? How has he gifted you? Do you know the answer to these questions? If you're a Christian, you should be desiring to understand that and to know that. To be able to articulate, here's how I believe the Lord has gifted me and how he uses me in in a multitude of different situations. And then ask yourself, will getting married, if you're single, will getting married help or hinder that? The person that maybe you desire to marry, how will they feel about how you're gifted and what you want to do. You see a young couple and they're all like, hey, we love each other and and we love Jesus. And the the guy's like, and I want to love Jesus by going to Peru and staying there for the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden the the young lady's like, wait a second, (laughs) Peru, huh? I don't know that I really want to go there. That should be like an initial pause like hey let's talk about this right do our giftings match do our desires match this is pretty basic stuff so paul again here and and this is he's saying don't let the world tell you what you need to do don't let the the pressures 
of this world because we've been freed from that. But if any man, verse 36, in this section here, by the way, uh, many people feel like this is probably taking the perspective now of fathers who traditionally know that they have a responsibility to marry their kids off. Uh, If any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his, I would say, young unmarried child, uh, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. If, if, If it's good for her to marry, go for it. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and here I would say power over his own will means all of those desires, right? There's a sense of, I I have a sense of serving the Lord and serving Him alone. None of these other things matter. And has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So again, most interpret this passage as is to the perspective of the parent. Others, they look at this and say, no, this is more first person. This is more of like a betrothed couple that uh, that are deciding if marriage is right for them. In either case, really, the two would be interchangeable in that it's about evaluating what does the Lord desire for you and what are your desires? If your desire is to be married and you're ready to, and here's the important thing, and you're ready to give yourself in marriage As we read earlier in chapter 7, you're ready for selflessness. You're ready to recognize that your body is not your own. You're ready to meld that identity with another and serve God together. Well, then great. Or if you're ready to serve Christ solely and to surrender your will to Him and be used by Him in your singleness for His glory, then great. But on both sides, if motivated by your will and your selfish desires, then those are the wrong motives. Married or unmarried, it needs to be to the Lord. And certainly for the married, Paul sees fit to put this sort of clarification in here, verse 39. He says, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. Why does he throw this in there? Because he wants us to understand that marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. There is little window of allowance for divorce in Scripture when the covenant has been broken. And and for for Paul here, he doesn't even allude to that. He just says, as you see, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. He's saying it's only death. Right? And so understand here that uh, even when a covenant has been broken, Rest assured that reconciliation, when there's repentance, that reconciliation is what the Lord desires. So when deciding to be married, consider the importance of the relationship. Don't enter it lightly, because it's not a relationship that we get a pass on. Again, Paul says, look, if, if the spouse dies, because this can be applied either way, you're free from the covenant. And, and truly then Paul would be saying, and maybe you should just go ahead and stay that way, right? Based off of the argument that he's already made because he's saying, look, it's better to serve the Lord this way. But nevertheless, he's saying, but if you want to get married, go ahead and get married. But note what he says. He says, only in the Lord. What's that tell us? He says, they better love Jesus, okay? And I love that. Paul's saying, look, you're going to get married, they better love Jesus, okay? If you're here and you're single, 
and you meet somebody and you're thinking, hey, this might be it, you had better, the first question, do you love Jesus? That, that needs to be the most important question that you ask. And if they say, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Well, you say, well, tell me more about that. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. When did you come to know Jesus? How do you spend time with Jesus? What's he been telling you? Put them in a spot where they need to be able to explain that, right? To articulate to you their walk with the Lord. Verse 40, but she is happier if she remains as she is. Again, this is funny. You know, Paul, he communicates in this way that maybe I only find it humorous, but according to my judgment, he says, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. What Paul is saying here really is he's like, again, this is my opinion, but I'm pretty sure God agrees, (laughs) right? But it's not a mandate. It's not a commandment. As we've seen here, Paul says, look, there's opportunity for a multitude of things. But what's the biggest picture in all of this? No matter what it is, are we coming at it with the mindset of, Lord, I just want to serve you well. I want to serve you well. And so whatever I do, whatever I'm doing for a living, whatever I'm giving my time to, the relationship I'm in, Lord, I, I want it to be glorifying to you. I want that to be my greater aim. Matthew 6.33 tells us, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Listen clearly, we never, never go wrong when we focus on Jesus first. When we focus on Him and allow Him to guide and direct, you're not going to get off path. You're not going to go astray. His Word says, abide in me. Right? And there's so many stories, you know, of people who, there's somebody who said, you know what, I don't, I don't think that, uh, um, that I'm going to get married and I'm going to serve the Lord. And I know these missionaries out on the field that were like, that, that's part of the reason. They're like, I'm going to go out on the field. And, and it just seems to make sense this way. And, and years down the road, they're like, I met somebody, <laughs> you know. Hey, praise the Lord. Look what the Lord did, right? So just trust him with it. Seek him, not these other things. As we start to close here this morning, I would just give you a few questions to consider that I found kind of walk us through this passage well. What's your gifting from God? Start there. How's the Lord gifted and equipped you? If you don't know that question, uh, give yourself to finding that out, to understanding that more. From there, how can you put that to use right where you are? How can you put that to use right where you're at? Three, if you're married, what do you need to do so that you and your spouse can serve the Lord faithfully together? Take that to the Lord. Maybe you're one who's married and you're married to an unbeliever. Scripture doesn't leave that out. We just dealt with that. Paul says, in effect, my paraphrase, hang in there. You never know how you serving the Lord, once again, looking to Jesus first, might make a difference in that relationship. If you're not married, consider whether, this is number four, if you're not married, consider whether being married would help you use your giftings for him or hinder it. That seems scary to some people, right? There's some people who are like, man, I don't want to ask that question because he might tell me that, I, that I, it'd be better to remain unmarried and I really want to be married. Here's the deal. Don't be afraid of that. God knows your heart. He knows what you desire. Just be willing to say, okay, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to focus on you first I'm going to let you do the rest. 
Finally, five, if you decide to marry, are you prepared to enter that marriage for life and to give yourself to it? That has to be our mindset. Okay? Jesus, being the perfect husband, we know that he gave all for his bride, the church. And that's us. How cool is that? That that's how he looks at us. We were bought at a price. And this is what we celebrate in communion this morning as we partake of it. What he's done for us. How he's sacrificed all. He is the perfect example. Now, maybe you don't, as we, as we take communion here this morning, as always, the communion table is open to all those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You've given your life to him. And maybe you don't know Jesus today, whether here, maybe somebody's watching online, and you're thinking today, as you heard this, man, I want that kind of purpose in my life. I want to be freed from the things of this world. The pressures of this world. Maybe you're thinking, I want, I want that perfect relationship. I desire a relationship, but I keep coming up empty-handed. I want a relationship with someone who loves me unconditionally, even when they know everything about me. Someone who's going to give sacrificially. Well, then turn to Jesus today. That's the only way you're going to know this fully. And for the believer today, remember what you have in Christ. Remember this morning that we're not defined by our giftings. We're blessed by them. We're able to use them for His glory, but they're not what defines us. We're not defined by what we do. We're not defined by whether you're married, whether you're single. These are all the ways that the world seeks to define you, but we are defined by by one thing only, and that's Jesus Amen? And so I would challenge you today, commit once again then to serve Him, to live for Him, to know Him more, to follow Him, to celebrate that He's freed you to do these very things. Father, we, we thank You, Lord, for this day. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for how You love us, how You care for us. And Lord, here now, as we prepare to take communion, Lord, we know we're instructed to look back and remember what it is you've done for us. We're challenged, Lord, to look within and allow you to search our hearts. See if there's anything, Lord, in us, not of you. Lord, we're also encouraged to look forward with great anticipation to an eternity with you. And so we do that here now. But Lord, we also recognize that here we are, in this in-between time, and there's a tension that exists there, Lord. And we just ask that, Lord, you would work this word into our hearts here today, that we would understand that there is freedom here, Lord, now in Christ, but that as we exercise these freedoms, that, Lord, we should do so with the mindset of what's going to please you the most that we would be a people, Lord, who long to serve you in the way that you desire to be served. And so, Lord, uh, do that work in our hearts here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you are subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.